0: Well, welcome to Faith Church. We are uh, excited to have you. Now, if we haven't met yet, my name's Matthew. I'm the pastor here at Faith Church, and uh, you picked a great day to be here uh we're 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 right in the middle of a uh, right at the beginning of a collection of uh, different sermons all about our mindset. and uh, I want to read uh, to get things started. Hebrews chapter twelve, starting in verse one, Hebrews chapter twelve, starting in verse one, you can Turn there uh, in, in your Bibles, you can click to our central hub, faithchurchks.org, and there are notes and scriptures there you can follow right there with us as well today. Uh, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, today the mindset that we're going to explore and look at today together is this, that Jesus is the center and his word is our compass, that Jesus is the center and his word is our Compass, And I want to read Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, it says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us or trips us up. Let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. You have a race to run, and it's marked out for you and God wants to help you and guide you on this race. Fixing, then, our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. You know, in order to have a mindset, you have to have more than just a passing thought. Your mindset is more than just a random thought that you think at random times that comes and then it goes. No, in order to have a mindset, there has to be a thought or a pattern of thinking that are reoccurring, that have an anchor point, that, that you're affixed to. And we, as we read in Hebrews, we want to fix our eyes and our minds, if you will, on Jesus. We want everything that we do to be fixed on Jesus. We, we want to have our eyes focused firmly on Jesus. Here at Faith Church, if, if we're doing any event, if we have an opportunity, if we have a service, if we have a gathering, everything that we're doing is going to point towards Jesus. It's, it's just the, the bottom line for us. Everything we do as the church, we want it to point to Jesus. Everything you will read in scripture points towards Jesus. He is the theme that is woven through every page and chapter and verse All throughout scripture, Jesus is the central theme. He's the standard that magnetically draws us in our lives. He's he's the one that we look to for everything. Jesus is this standard. He is the center. He's the the mark that we look towards and onward to as we kind of navigate and walk through our, our lives. He's the center. And we want him to be our center we want him to be our focus we want him to be our 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 everything he's this mark this magnetic thing that that pulls us and draws us as we as we navigate life because here's the reality uh you're gonna have to navigate life i'm gonna have to navigate life there are ups and there are downs there are highs there are lows there are uh um easy cruising and deep challenges there's joys and there's disappointments. There is a, a wide range of things that you're going to experience in life. There are things that you're going to feel well-equipped to do, and there are things that you're going to feel ill-equipped to do in life. Uh, you, 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 you might be ready to be a parent, but you are never ready to be a parent. It just, you can read all the books you want, you can get all the seminars and do all the things, but at the end of the day, there are some things you're just not ready for. And it's in those moments of life where we need a navigation system to keep us on, on course. Anybody, uh, anybody ever been on a hike before? Ever been on a hike? I, I've been on a couple of hikes, been camping a few times with my family over the years, especially growing up. Um, but the truth be told, this, this wouldn't come as a surprise to most of you. Uh, but your pastor is not what they would consider, quote-unquote, an outdoorsman. Like, my last name is Hunt, but I don't ever go hunting. Like, I don't know, those two things just don't really mesh in my world. Uh, I'm not really this outdoor, outdoors type. In fact, I've, uh, as a kid, though, uh, growing up in our church, I was uh, forced, uh, I will say that generously, forced to participate in this Christianized alternative to the Boy Scouts, that was called Royal Rangers. Oh, don't worry, they had a girl version called Missionettes. Yeah, so no Girl Scouts in our church, it was just Missionettes and Royal Rangers. And uh, I was not the poster boy for, for that. Uh, the very first year I was able to like age out, I was like, peace, I'm gone. Like, I, I'm, I'm leaving this thing. But one thing I do remember Uh, from my time in the Royal Rangers, was that they showed us how to use a compass. How there's this uh, pin on the compass that kind of floats around, and it's magnetized in such a way that it is always going to shift and turn and point towards the earth magnetic pull, towards, towards true north. It's how a compass is designed to work, so that you never get lost, no matter where you're at. You always can have a sense of direction. And uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we all have a compass that we are using to navigate our life. Your compass might look different than my compass, but we all have a compass that points us and moves us and helps us skillfully or less than skillfully navigate the seasons and the times of, of our lives. So, some of us, uh, maybe your compass is the culture around you. If it's popular opinion, popular culture, that's the direction your life is going to go. If it's okay, if it's culturally acceptable, then that's where I'm going to go. And, and, and you, you might live in a place where you're constantly compromising rather than living from a place of conviction. Maybe uh, your, your compass of the culture, it's causing you to constantly compare your life with somebody else's life. And as long as your life is a little bit better than somebody else's life, if if your faith is a little bit better than somebody else's faith, then you feel like your life is going in the right direction. But your compass is the culture. For some of us, uh, our compass, maybe your compass is your career. If it's good for your career, then it's the right decision to make. If it's gonna make you more money, doesn't matter what you have to sacrifice or give up. If If it helps you make more money, then by golly, it's the right move doesn't matter if it pulls you away from church, pulls you away from your family. Jesus said it like this. What does it help a person if you gain the entire world? Become Roland in the Benjamins, right? Like what does it help you if you gain the whole world, but yet your soul has been forfeited as a result? And so many people are using the compass of their career to navigate whether or not I should do something or not do something, never mind the sacrifice or the risk involved. It's all about, is it good for my career or not? And that's the compass that you you use to navigate life. Some of you, the compass that you use is your parent or a grandparent. You don't make a decision unless your mama says that it's okay for you to make the decision. Now, if you're under the age of 18 and you're still living at home, Your compass is partly your parents. Children, obey your parents. God will honor you for that. But when you're grown and out of the house, some of us are still being manipulated by relationships. And we're using that as our compass. Well, if mom says it's a good idea, if granddad says it's a good idea, I guess I'll do it. And we never really learn to hear God for ourselves, so we're still borrowing our parents' faith rather than developing our own relationship with God. And that's our compass. That's, our, that's how we're navigating our, our lives. Some of us, uh, it's just our feelings. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it. And that's our compass. And so we're, man, we, woo, we go on a ride because one day we're feeling good and the next day we're not feeling so good about it. And, and we're just up and down, up and down like the waves in an ocean. And we're just allowing our feelings to be the compass as to whether or not we commit or don't commit. We allow our feelings to be whether or not we're gonna do something or not do something. Our feelings are the navigation system by which we are walking through life. So when resistance comes or things don't work out, we bail and we just switch directions. Why? Because our feelings tell us to. The reality is when it comes to your feelings, your feelings are revealing to you something that you believe. The problem is what you believe might not be true. You might be feeling that this person is mad at you, but what you're feeling might not actually be telling you the full truth about what you believe. Maybe they just didn't see you, therefore they didn't say hello to you. It wasn't about being mean to you or snobbing you. It was that they were looking somewhere else entirely. But you are fully convinced that they were mad at you and they did it to snob you on purpose and now you had these tense relationships all over because you're believing a feeling rather than finding out what's really going on. Some of you, it's a craving. You're slave to your cravings. This, this is the appetites of our, of our physical body, but also our sexuality. And so we're, we're moving and making decisions based on the cravings of our mind, and we're slave to our whims and our desires. And as long as there's a desire and a passion for it, we're good to go. If it satisfies one of our needs, we don't care what it does to somebody else as long as it's meeting one of our needs. And these cravings become the compass that we navigate by. The problem is what do you do when the passion dulls? Now we have a crisis on our hands, and so we navigate relationships purely based on a craving that is going to meet some need, but that craving will ebb and flow with life. Some of us, our compass is fear. Pastor, you're given an awful lot of lists. Yeah, there's an awful lot of things that you navigate your life by. For some of us, it's fear. Fear. I'm too afraid that if I do that, I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm afraid to talk. I'm afraid to go out of my comfort zone. I'm, a, I'm afraid to, to try. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And, and we are living so tense and stressed because fear, and we never get the opportunity to know what real peace is like because we're being driven and navigated by fear. What's the virus going to do next? Where's it going to go? Is that person safe? Is that person not safe? I can't trust this and I can't trust that and and I better not go here and we're just going to live in our own little bubble and create our own convent and move out to the woods and have hundreds of acres and not allow anybody else around our family because we're just afraid and we're navigating and moving in our life because of fear. For years, and if I'm not careful, I can fall back into it. I I have a compass that oftentimes navigates my life. And that's the compass of failure. Failure. If it looked like I might fail, I navigated away from it. If it looked like it might not work out, I'm going to navigate away from it. If I need to control it in order to make the outcome what it looks like or appear like, I'm going to navigate away from it. For years, I never wrote a book. Why? I was afraid it would fail. I was afraid that my greatest weakness would be seen and that it would be a great disappointment to people. And people would look at it and be like, ah, it's such a failure. It's not even real. It's a weird book. I'm not going to buy it. Mindsets matter, please. Like that greatest thing, it was navigating my life. I would do everything I possibly could. I would work harder, I would work longer, I would study more, I would do whatever I needed to do to avoid even the appearance that my life was failing. And it was the compass that navigated my life. I don't know what your compass is. I hope it's kind of begun to to ring true and there might be multiple compasses that you're always switching the compass. I came to tell you today that no one can choose your compass for you, but you choose your compass. And God gives us another alternative to this. And He says, I'm giving you my word. The word of God, scripture, it's centered on Jesus. It's something you can anchor your life to. It's not a passing whim. It's not going to change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can take it to the bank. If it's in God's word, you can use it to navigate your life. God has given us scripture, the Bible, to be the navigation, to be the compass, to navigate your life in a skillful way. Whatever challenge you face, scripture can help you navigate through it. Whatever decision you need to make, there's scripture to help you navigate through it. No matter how broken you feel, lost you might find yourself, upset, frustrated, or burned out, wherever you're at in life, young or old, scripture can be your compass to help you navigate your life. And God gave it to us to be this compass, so that we have a, a set standard, something fixed that we can look to that is consistent and unchanging so that we know what true north actually looks like. And we can trust God's word to be our, our compass. I think that's why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I think this is why, why he wrote this when he said, but you, Timothy, you, you need to remain faithful to the things that, I, that I've taught you You know that they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's disciples, spent a lot of time with him. And Paul, as his mentor, is writing to Timothy to remind him that even though culture is changing, even though there are pressures, even though there are wrong teachings, where people are hitching themselves to the wrong kind of compass... Timothy, you need to remember a few things and, and make sure you're not confusing the compass that you're picking up. He goes on to say it like this. You've been taught the holy scriptures from your childhood and they've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything in the Holy Scriptures is pointing you to Jesus. Everything in the Holy Scriptures is there to help you find salvation in the life of God. Everything in the Scriptures is there to help navigate your life towards God's best in every area that you can think of or live out. In every season, it's there. He goes on to say in verse 16, I love this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful... All scripture is useful for for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training towards righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that you can be thoroughly equipped for the hike of your life so you don't get lost, you don't lose sight of food, you don't get caught somewhere on a mountainside when the storm rolls in and you're ill-prepared. God's word is there to help you navigate and move and hike through your life, journey through your life, so that you can do it skillfully, in a way that's prepared, in a way that you don't feel like you are lacking anything at all in the process. God has given a scripture as the better compass for you to choose. To be your navigation companion, to be your GPS, to help you skillfully navigate every terrain and every season in in your life. If if you're taking notes, you can can write this down. I want you to understand this about God's word. Number one is this, that God's word can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. I know there's a lot of skepticism, but, but scripture is a valid set of documents and writings for us. The Bible is 66 books. It's uh, penned by at least 40 different authors uh, 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 over a 1,500-year period of time. But it really was authored by one person. Many men penned it, but there was one author, and that was the Spirit of God, inspiring men to write what they wrote. Uh, The Bible contains war and stories and erotic writings and diaries and songs and poetry and prophecy and history and correspondence and humor and metaphors and, and fantasy writings. It's all contained in these books and in these writings. The Bible is broken up into two major sections. It's Old Testament, which is 39 books, and then the New Testament, starting with the life of Jesus, and there's 27 books written in the New Testament. So it's broken up and, and categorized. Now, when it was originally written, the Bible that you hold or that you and I would maybe look at and read today, it didn't originally have like chapter breakdowns or verse breakdowns. Like there wasn't originally, there wasn't a second Timothy chapter three, verse 14 through 17. Like that didn't in their original writings that didn't occur. In fact We didn't start adding chapters and verses until uh, 1560, until the year 1560 when the Geneva Bible Press was done. They, They decided to let's add some reference points so you could easily find something. And boy, am I glad that they did. Like this was before you could like search Google to find the text, right? Like you had to remember and these references. Some of you are like, yeah, but the Bible's just so old. You're right, it is old, but it still can be trusted. In fact, when, when looking at writings of antiquity, there are two major uh, points of validation that allow a user to know they can trust the text. Two, two major factors, the number of original manuscripts and the time that it was written between the time that it was written and the time, the events that it was writing about. So if they're writing about the life of Jesus and they're writing years later, what is the time gap between what what happened and when it was written about? Okay, so you have the number of manuscripts and the time in between the events and the writing of the events. When it comes to the Bible, I want you to understand this. We have more original manuscripts and the shorter period of time between its authorship and the events that it's writing about than any other book in circulation today that is being taught in every university and environment. Just take, um, we only have two ancient copies of the biographies of Alexander the Great. Anybody study Alexander the Great in school? Come on, this is an all-participate. If you didn't study Alexander the Great in school, you are lying right now. Right, like he was in your history textbooks. You're like, no, I slept through history. I know. This is all right. You studied Alexander. In fact, but we only have two copies of his original biographies. But we don't doubt that those events happened in history. We don't doubt the stories that they're being told. We don't doubt the impact that his life had on our culture and our world today. We don't doubt, we just take those things as gospel. But when it comes to the Bible, there's so many people that want to argue it's its validness, it's validity. But I want you to understand, while we only have two copies of the biographies of Alexander the Great, we have 25,000 copies of the New Testament Gospels. 25,000 compared to two And the events of the writing uh, are are written within 40 years after Christ's life. So 25,000 copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The life of Jesus. And all of them written within 40 years of the events that they're writing about. When it comes to Alexander the Great, his two biographies were written 400 to 1,500 years after the events occurred. Friends... I just came to say, you can trust the Bible. You can trust that scripture is true and it's accurate. But not only do you need to know that God's word can be trusted, number two, I want you to realize today that God's word has benefits for your life. God's word has a benefit for your life. No matter the season or the situation that you find yourself in, there is wisdom in the scriptures to help you skillfully navigate that season of life. Ever been uh, short of breath? Anybody ever been? You ever had that moment where you're like, couldn't catch your breath, and you're like struggling, 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 and all of a sudden you like, you caught that breath, and how like, oh, life giving it was. The Bible says that's what every page is like. It's like the life and the breath of God at just the right moment when you're suffocating in life. A scripture shows up and it gives you, gives you the breath that you need to persevere you ever had that happen we're just in the moment in, in the nick of time there was a scripture there was a teaching there was a sermon there was a text from a friend something from scripture that like <sighs> helped you breathe a little deeper and a little easier why because god's word does that there's a benefit to our life when paul was writing to timothy he said hey listen scripture all of it it's inspired and breathe and has the life of god in it but but it's also there to teach you something In other words, Scripture is helping you to learn a skill and to learn some doctrine. It's going to help you live accurately in your life. It's there to to rebuke you. We don't really like that word. We like the teaching thing. We like the encouraging thing. Not so good on the rebuking thing. But when you look at the original language, this word rebuke simply means to give reproof or expose For conviction. I want you to hear me though. When you read the Bible, you're not just reading it, it's designed to read you. God's word is like a mirror that you look into and when you see your reflection in the mirror, you understand the imperfections of your own life. The Bible is not a magnifying glass for you to go try and expose somebody else's life with. It's there to expose your own heart. It's there to expose your own motives, your own wrongdoings, your own ill steps, your own perspectives and mindsets that need to be adjusted. It's there to expose to you that you're going in the wrong direction, you're using the wrong compass. It's there to teach, it's there to rebuke, it's there to correct. And that word correct simply means to bring alignment to. Uh, I think it's really interesting in cars today, many of the new uh, models of vehicles come with this lane detection or lane correction in them to where if you start to drift out of your lane, it auto-corrects and it helps you back into alignment so you're traveling in the right lane for safety. That's what God's word wants to do. When you begin to read God's word, it's going to help align you, like a great chiropractic adjustment, aligning you so that you have great flow and life where everything begins to work in proper unison in your life again. Why? Because your, God's word wants to bring some, there's this alignment, this correction that comes. It's not a heavy-handed rule book so that you can browbeat people, so that you can manipulate people. It's not God's word to create behavior manipulation in other people. God's word is there to help you stay on course to find alignment, so that you're moving towards God's destiny for your life. That's why he wrote the words that he wrote. It's there to correct you. It's it's not only there to correct you, but it's there to to train you like a coach to come alongside you and say, hey, 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 hey. This is the better way to do it. Hey, 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 let's look this way. It's this sense of nurturing that you do. A sense of nurturing. God's word wants to come alongside and nurture you towards health. To nurse you away from sin and death, back to life everlasting. To nurse you back from the brokenness that you feel, to the wholeness that Jesus can bring, to nurse and and coach you back and help navigate you back to the life that was lost and you're confused and it's all, all disorienting to helping you find where true north is again in your life and you're moving in the right direction. The question is, how do you allow God's word then to be your compass? If it's got benefit and you can trust it, If if there's a benefit to God's word and you know you can trust God's word, then how do we let his word actually be our compass? How do we actually do that? Number one, I think here's the practical thing for us. We have to be willing to throw off our sin, not throw off scripture. If you're gonna allow your life to start coming in alignment with what scripture says, if you're gonna allow it to be the thing that carries you through life, it's gonna be, Because you're allowing it to speak to you. Where you're allowing your sins to be thrown off like Hebrews said, rather than you just tossing out scriptures that you don't like. Rather than just tossing aside things that that you're not sure are there. Listen, the Bible is not some add-on. Your relationship with God is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Your relationship with God wasn't meant to just be self-help. It's actually meant to transform you because you have a new center a new magnetic pull, it's Jesus. So what do we do? We look at our lives and we conform and we change our life to the truth of scripture. We don't change scripture to conform to our preferences. I I get it. The Bible can feel kind of heavy sometimes. Well, literally, depending on the size that you buy. But the words that are written in it can feel really heavy. So you, you start flipping through and you get in there and you're like, man, I... I'm reading all this stuff on Leviticus and and like, it's all a bunch of bloody stuff. I don't, I don't know that I really, I don't really buy that, that part of Leviticus. And I mean, the whole plagues, I mean, seriously, frogs everywhere. I, I don't, I don't know that I can do it. Okay, it's getting a little lighter. Let me, let me keep going through. Kings. I like Kings. Chronicles. Chronicles is just the same thing as Kings. There's no point to have Chronicles. It's just like, it's all rewrites anyways. We're just going to take that out. I, I'll kind of ignore Chronicles. Psalms. Oh no, we got to keep Psalms. Like, I mean, what else would we read at funerals if we don't have Psalms? Like, we got to have something kind to say at a funeral. Let's just keep Psalms in there. That's good. Uh, Song of Solomon. Wow, wow. Yeah, we like that one. We're going to keep that one. In fact, we're going to memorize that plate, baby. Proverbs, no, we need we need Proverbs. Uh, uh, Isaiah, yeah, he's okay. Jeremiah, I don't really like him. He's kind of weird. I don't understand all of his... He's always sad all the time anyways. They called him the weeping prophet, like... What a downer. I don't need a, Ezekiel, he was strange. He cooked stuff, he cooked like dung over fire. He's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't trust him. Daniel, oh, that was the lion's Then That's a good story. We need that story to tell our kids. That's a good one to keep on to. They'll be up at night every time they see a lion. They're afraid of it. Obadiah, I don't, Oba who? No, that's just a weird name. Zachariah, Malachi, I don't like Malachi. I don't even know where that one's going. Like that's Matthew. Oh no, we better keep that. He's a really good guy. Mark, yeah, he's all right. Uh, it's Jesus. We can't, we can't delete Jesus. We like Jesus. He's the loving Jesus, the kind Jesus. Oh, Acts. No way. That's where the Holy Spirit shows up and that got weird really quick. I don't believe in tongues. I don't want to believe in miracles. That's not going to be good anymore. We're going to, we're going to move all the way through and what do we do? We start removing scripture rather than removing our own sin so that the Bible that we carry is much lighter. Much lighter. Oh, okay, this is... This feels a little bit better now. Friends, if you're going to allow God's word to be your compass, there's going to come moments where you have to allow the sin in your life to be acknowledged and say, I've been been using the wrong compass and I need to let this actually be my compass and allow it to speak to me. Here in just a minute, we're going to take communion and so... I'm going to invite our section host, those helping to serve communion, if you go ahead and get ready. And, and as soon as you have the elements, friends, if you would go ahead and just begin to distribute the elements. And as the elements come by, you can grab both, both cups. There are two cups in each slot. Grab both of them. Hold on to them. And here in just a minute, we'll all, we'll all partake together. Go ahead, gentlemen, and begin to, to distribute those things we're gonna allow God's word to be our compass, we have to be willing to throw off sin, not throw off the scriptures. Are there things that are heavy in the Bible? Yeah. Are there things I don't like about Bible? Yeah. I would love to, to ignore the whole part about forgiving other people so God can forgive me. I would much rather hold a grudge and allow God to forgive me than to actually forgive somebody else. That's a tough part. But there's something life-giving about it. Something life-giving about it. We have to be willing to throw off our sin, not, not toss off the scriptures. If we're gonna allow God's word to be our compass, here's, here's, the, here's the last thing today. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus. He has to be the magnetic pull that draws us. We have to not get caught up in this or that. We've got to recognize that Jesus is our standard, that that he's the one that we grow to. See, when we come come to communion, we're really coming to the cross of what Jesus did. And at the base of the cross is level footing for everyone. It's level footing for everyone. We have to remember that Jesus is what we fix our eyes to because he's the standard that we're trying to model our life after. He's the one that we're we're trying to model after. When we have doubts, when we feel scared, when we feel betrayed, when we feel like we need to compare our lives to somebody else's life, when we don't have control, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. We just fix our eyes on Jesus and he draws us out of the trial, out of the fire, out of the problem, out of the stress, out of our feelings, and he draws us towards life. He draws us towards life. We see teachings that Jesus says, and I want you to understand, like, at the cross is level for all of us. But you know what often happens when it comes to God's word being our compass on? On one hand, we have people over here saying they're judging everybody. They're using God's word to judge, 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 judge. To condemn and judge. Friends, stop judging other people. That's God's job. He sits on the throne in heaven to judge your life. And everyone, stop judging others. That's his job. Stop trying to condemn other people. That's Satan's job. He's the one that brings condemnation. On this side, we've got the the sense of like, judge, 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 judge. But over here on this side, you know what we've got? We've got people saying, well, if you can't judge me, then there must not be a standard. No, friends. Just because I'm not judging you doesn't mean there is no standard by which you will be judged. The standard is Jesus. See, on this side we end up with legalism. Judging, manipulating, using scripture to get people to behave a certain way. That's legalism. And on this side where we throw out all standards because no one's ever gonna be judged, you know what that's called? Lawlessness. And on one side you've got legalism and on the other side you've got lives that are lawless and they're doing whatever feels good and it's all these things. You know what? You know what's in the middle of these two things? Jesus. It's the cross that on one side reaches the legalistic, religious folk, and on the other side it reaches those who are lawless and not abiding by the truth, not living. They're living in their own compass, trying to be their own God. And in the middle you have Christ, and He's saying, I died for you both. I died for you. And it's at the cross that we find level footing. It's at the cross that we, when we fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus, we find ourselves finally at true north. At the compass that can direct your life and my life to skillfully navigate. Jesus is the center. And his word has to be our compass in life. So that we can navigate to the place that he wants us in. Friends, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to take communion together in just a moment, but I want you in this moment to just pause and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's been my compass lately? What have I allowed to be the magnetic center navigating my life? Just you. And if the answer is anything other than Jesus and God's word, would you just take a minute and say, Lord, would you forgive me of that? I want to put my life squarely back. I want to fix my eyes on you right now. In this moment of prayer, before we partake together, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you know you, you've been using your own compass, but you've never really put your faith in God, You've never made a decision to follow God. You've been following your own way and you've been your own God maybe. But today something has been stirring in you and you wanna come to Jesus and give him your life. If that's you, you say, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus today. Would you just put a hand in the air? We wanna pray together before, before we move on. We'll wait just a second say, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I wanna give my life to Jesus today. Church family, let's all pray together out loud. Those of you watching online, you can pray this prayer right where you're at too. Let's all pray together. Say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died on a cross for me. I fix my eyes on him. He's the one who paid the price for my sins. I give you my life. Forgive me. Set me right on the inside. I want to follow you from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus.